faith as a seed. And uh, we looked at the story of that boy that was having all those seizures. And the word, some translations say he was epileptic. And he was having these seizures. And the disciples prayed for him. And the boy wasn't helped. And then uh, Jesus hears about that. And he calls them an unbelieving and perverse generation. And I was mentioned last week what those words meant. And if you didn't hear it, you might want to go back and listen to it. I had quite a few comments compliments or whatever, uh, nice things to say, how it blessed and encouraged them. If you want to hear it, we actually have new ways you can listen to the sermons, okay? So if you want to put that slide up there for me. We are now on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, the Podbeam app, Spotify, Amazon Music or Audible. Pandora's going to be activated in the next little bit. Uh, tune in, Alexa, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and Listen Notes. So we put that onto one system, and it shoots it all to those other ten. And so whether you have an Android, an iPhone, computer, tablet, or whatever, if you have any form of device, you can listen if you want to, either to last week's or almost all of our previous ones going back for, I know there's like 170-something sermons on there. So you can find something on there to listen to if you need, whether it was, might have been one of Laura's or Marshall's or Debbie's, could be whoever spoke here from... Uh, Rodney Hogue or different ones, they're all on there. So if you guys want to go on, look for some, download some, they should be there. But uh, Jesus then tells this boy, going back to the story, Jesus tells the father, bring the boy to him. And he heals the boy and sets this perversion, this corruption straight. Okay, you guys probably remember me talking about this last week. So later on, the disciples took him, he was aside privately with them, and they said, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? We, we, we prayed, we took turns praying, it didn't work. And he said, because of your unbelief, and I showed you how that unbelief meant the smallness of the duration of their faith. It wasn't smaller than a mustard seed type faith. The size word is not even listed there. It is in some translations, but in the original language, it's just not there. It was what someone thought Jesus meant, but he was talking about the, the, what the seed of a mustard seed is like. Faith like a seed. And the faith like a seed is tenacious. It will, it's like a weed. It comes from the weed family. You've all pulled weeds, and they will grow where you don't want them to grow. And I told you how I had two growing in my house, and I, <laughs> I thought I was speaking to plants, and I was actually speaking to weeds. But it is not, it's not uh, the size, it's the duration of time. It's the fight, your fight. It's kind of like the saying we have here in America, North America even, but it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Right? It's not the size. It's not the size uh, of the seed. It's not the size that matters. It's not the size of the mountain that matters. It's not. The, it's the size. It's the. It's the your determination, your fire, your passion, your determination, your persistent prayer that's going to make a difference. If you're going to see the things you're asking for in prayer, are you going to fight the good fight of faith? If there wasn't a fight, it wouldn't be called a good fight of faith. It'd be the passive aggression uh, of faith, or the fairy tale of faith, or the uh, or the philosophy of faith. But he says, you're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. And the only way it's a good fight is if you fight until you win. Could you imagine you went, rented this big pay-per-view event, and it was like 100 bucks each, and you rent this big pay-per-view event. And then by round three, the, the boxer just goes, what? I'm tired. I'm give up. This guy's punching me too hard. I'm going to just quit. You imagine like, what? I paid $100 for this. I remember years ago, we, we rented one, and it was when Mike Tyson was a big deal, and that thing lasted like 17 seconds or something. That was, a, that was, a, that was like, oh, man. But anyway, um, we are called to fight. You know what? Sometimes the punches hurt, don't they? Sometimes you feel them. But we cannot cave in. We cannot quit. We must persistently fight the good fight of faith. 
So that brings us up to where we left off last week. And, um, but I want to take it a little, one step further today. You may have thought throughout the week, well, if, if, this, if this is referring to your faith like a seed, then why did Jesus say in Matthew 17, 21, that this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting? Some of you may have had that thought this week. So if you did, I want to take it a step further and actually go into that. Um, what does it mean when he said this kind goes out by prayer and fasting? So I have, th- I have this for you, on this, that verse on the screen. Um, it will come sometime. But the phrase, this kind, can be directly connected to this kind of demon spirit, or it can be connected to this kind of unbelief. If you read the context, the subject of the sentence is actually referring to unbelief. This kind of unbelief uh, comes out by prayer and fasting. But I want to show you this, this, this verse. and uh, is most likely carried over from Mark uh, 9.29. It tells the same story. We should have that too, Mark 9.29. So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this is the same story, but in a different version. But in Matthew's version of the story, verse 21 is not there in a lot of Bibles. If you take like the red Bible you have in front of you there in the pews, NIVs and some other ones, uh, I'm not saying the NIV is the best version. Those older ones are better than the newer ones they have today. The newer ones today are owned by secular companies, and they're changing verses quite frequently, uh, the newer ones. But these older ones are okay. But they have verse 21. You look at it, and it says Matthew 7, 21. There's just a blank line there. There's nothing written there. And the reason why, if you can put the picture up for me, uh, for thank you. Uh, this is Matthew 17, 21. You see right there, how be it this kind. But underneath it, all the 999s. That's because it was added to the original text. It was added. And what most scholars believe is that it was carried over from Mark 9.29, which we just looked at. So some manuscripts do have that, but most of the what they say is the more reliable ones do not have verse 21 there. Okay? So if you want to show the next one for me, please. In Mark 9.29. Yes. So even here in Mark 9.29, you'll see how be it this kind can come out nothing but by prayer and look at and fasting. Do you see that? And fasting has the nines again. So if fasting is even in this at all, is debated. And, you know, there isn't really any, if it is talking about deliverance, this kind of demon spirit comes out by fasting, there is no scriptural precedence that shows you have to fast in order to cast out demons. Jesus didn't have his disciples fasting at all, did he, while he was there, not till after he was resurrected, and they cast out demons. There is, I can't think of any verse in the Bible in the Old or New Testament that makes some kind of connection with you must fast to build yourself up to a place where you can cast out demons. Okay, But if it's talking about um, this kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting, then that could be another thing. Now, I want to say, well, fasting, this, the point of my sermon isn't fasting today, and you guys are all going to be relieved because everybody hates to fast, just be honest, right? It's miserable. It is not for your enjoyment. Uh, it's not for like, I'm going to fast today, praise God. I mean, you're not even allowed to tell anybody when you are doing it, except your mom after she's cooked your food. Like, sorry, mom, I forgot to tell you, but I can't eat today. What? I claimed all day cooking this. I've done that before. But I was like, sorry, mom. But anyway, um, no one likes to fast. If they do, there's probably not, you might like the encounter you have with God while you're fasting, but your body is going to scream out, "I hate you right now! Give me some food! What's wrong with you? You used to feed me three to four to five to ten times a day, and now you're giving me nothing! Like what is going on?" I mean, it, it's your body's going to scream out to you, right? And it's it, fasting is a way for you to put your flesh under. 
for you to say, you know what? You are not in charge of me. You can't tell me what to do. And the more we yield to our flesh, the more we're going to used to yield to our flesh in other ways, not just with food, but with words we say or a variety of things. So that is one of the main purposes of fasting is self-denial. It's not to cast out demons. Now, if God tells you to go on a fast, it could be for a variety of reasons. But we need to be led by the Spirit into fasting, not just assume I have to, oh, I'm going for deliverance. So oh, I better fast for three days. No, don't do that. You're going you're to get yourself in doubt and unbelief. Now, if God says to go on a fast, are you good? <laughs> if he says to, then you do, all right? So, yeah, I, I knew this would go over like that. <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about fasting. But uh, I would just say, um, ask God. You know, I, don't, I really don't know if fasting should be in this verse or not, okay? It seems like it was added by translators, uh, and it isn't in a lot of manuscripts, but at the same time, if the Lord asks you to fast in the area of helping you to deal with some of your own personal unbelief, I think that's probably a good idea, unless you, choose, unless you want to keep it, right? So we're going to look at this some more today. This kind, if you, if you change, add one word, they added some words there, we can see. If I add a word in there, uh, I would add persistent prayer. If this kind comes out by persistent prayer, whether, whether it was the demon or whether it was the unbelief, that makes sense in either scenario, doesn't it? This kind of comes out by persistent faith prayer. And that's what, really, that's what faith is anyway. Well, it isn't faith if it's just temporary or just for a moment. Well, I believe for a minute. Faith is, is going to be, it's going to last long. It's going to be consistent. So, now, I want to look at, just mention this, that it's possible for us to have doubt and unbelief at the same time. Now, sometimes people think, uh, they didn't have enough faith. or didn't have. No, you have enough faith. You've been given the measure of faith. The problem is you have enough unbelief too. I'm saying you. I'm saying me. I'm saying us. And unless we deal with our unbelief, it's going to stay there. Amen? So I'm going to look at that, some of this today. We're going to look at this from both perspectives. First perspective, we're going to look at if Jesus was referring to this kind of demon comes out by prayer, potentially fasting, but I don't think it was fasting. Uh, we're going to look at that for a minute. We're also going to look for if is this kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and potentially fasting. And if that's the case, then that means there's different kinds of unbelief. Okay, so we're going to look at that today. First, I want to look at this kind of spirit comes, or demon comes out uh, by prayer. Okay, now there's many different types of spirits mentioned in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There's a spirit of infirmity. You remember that lady that walked like a hunchback? And she couldn't straighten herself up. She walked like this, couldn't hardly look somebody in the eye. And she was bent over for 18 years. And Jesus healed that woman on the Sabbath. The Pharisees got mad, of course, because they couldn't do it. They were jealous, so I think it's a big part. But uh, Jesus said that was a spirit of infirmity. And when the spirit of infirmity left her, she could stand up straight. She was healed. There was there were spirits that caused uh, muteness, deafness, blindness, fever, mental illness, and much more. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person on the planet that is mute, deaf, or whatever has a spirit, but they could. Okay? Are you okay, are you okay with that? They could, because that's what the Bible says, God says. So in this story we're reading, this boy having seizures, you think it'd be a spirit of a seizure or a spirit of trembling, a spirit of something like this. But the actual spirit Jesus rebuked in this story was a deaf and dumb spirit. It, it didn't say the boy was deaf or dumb. Now, he could, he, he could have been, probably was, I don't know. But it did say he was having seizures, and he was, he'd fall to the ground, foam at the mouth, and sometimes even they think he was dead because he just had such a, a bad uh, seizure. 
So it was a deaf and dumb spirit that Jesus was dealing with in this story. So if, if Jesus was referring to this kind of spirit comes out by prayer and potentially fasting, then he's saying that this kind is stubborn. You have to be persistent with it. You have to stay on it because it's going to try to stay. That's, that, there's really not much more you can say with that spirit. I've, I've, I've dealt with different spirits before, and some of them are stubborn. Some of them are gone. You're still praying. They're already left, and you didn't perceive it. I've definitely felt that before, too. But there's times you're going to pray, and it's going to be a fight. Okay? I can tell you stories. I don't know if everyone wants to hear them or not, but I could tell you some. Um, maybe I'll save it for another day. But I do have some pretty weird deliverance stories. And you know what? Um, people get comfortable. <laughs> oh, God. People get comfortable with their own demons. Can I just say that? It's called a familiar spirit. And you know, for my, I'll just say me. I'm not trying to say you because I'm not, I promise I'm not thinking about anybody in my brain here. I'm trying to just remember my notes. <laughs> but for me personally, for years, I thought some of my issues was just me or just my family, or just my dad, or my mom, or my, my genes, or something, for years, most of my life, until one day in 2011, I had a deliverance time with Dick Robinson, and then I realized, oh my gosh, that was not me, because the spirit talked like me, it said, I'm hearing it in my own, you know, voice, I'm hearing this type of stuff, and it was amazing, personally, the amount of peace I experienced after that was over. And like all these this storming thoughts just going in my head sometimes, just going on, and just accusations and thoughts, and I just thought I just had a busy mind, an active mind, or whatever. But afterwards, just the amount of peace that I had. Now, you know, if you have, if I, I wasn't intent on talking with demons so much either Sunday, but I'm just going to do it because I love you. Is that okay? Because I love you. If you have a demon, or it's on you, in you, it's bothering you in any way, or whatever, it is nothing to be embarrassed about. It's normal. Because it, normal is in that you are in a fallen world and the devil hates your guts. And there is no exemption for you because you grew up here or there or wherever you grew up or who your parents were. It doesn't matter what, what your family background dynamics was. He hates you and he's looking for an opportune time to get into your life to bother you. So whether it's a spirit of fear, a spirit of lust, a spirit of whatever, if it's a deaf and dumb spirit or whatever, he's looking for a way to get into our lives to mess with you, hurt you. So if you need deliverance, it's sometimes it's as easy as that. I mean, it's so quick, especially with children. I mean, or even with children praying for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'll be praying in tongues while you're not even realizing you, you just started praying. It just, it, it's a spirit of God that's flowing. But I'm telling you, you can be delivered and your life might not have to look the way it does right now. You know, people say excuses of things like, well, I was just born that way. And they think when they say they were born that way, and you can, you can put this across any level, that God made them this way. Because that, that, God made them that way, they're supposed to stay that way. I remember a lady telling me that because she was ADD and had some other obsessive, compulsive type behaviors. And she was telling me about it in a bragging way. That's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. And you know what? Just because you were born a certain way doesn't mean that's why God wants you to end. Do you know you're all born in sin? Does God want you to stay there? So being born in something, you struggle with something from birth, it means absolutely nothing. The whole message of the gospel is transformation and change. It's the whole power of the gospel is he has the power to transform and change your life. 
And anytime we accept something less than that, we are accepting that unbelieving and perverted message of this generation or the, the God of this age. Small g, really small g, tiny, tiny g, defeated g, okay? We are accepting that. And, you know, when we hear that message more than we hear from the Spirit of God, we just think, well, that's just the way it is. You know what? It's not true. It's just not true. So um, I want to point out to you, first, again, going back to we can have faith and we can have doubt and unbelief at the same time. I'm going to show you some scriptural verses for that. In this same story, Mark's version of this story about the boy, in Mark 9, 24, it says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So this guy did believe. He did believe. He stayed there all day long. We don't know how long he was there. All the disciples prayed for him, and he still waited for Jesus to get there and didn't know. He had faith, but he also had unbelief, okay? Let me show you another one. Matthew 21, 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt. So here you can see them both together. You can have them together. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and it will be done. If you have faith and do not doubt. So if you have faith and doubt at the same time, it's not going to move. If you have faith that's greater than your doubts, the thing will move. Okay? I'll show you another one. Matthew 14, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, do you guys know what this story is from? This is from Peter walking on water. There was no attaboy. <laughs> Way to go. I mean, oh my gosh, he's walking on water, okay? He's walking, Jesus is walking on water. Peter says, if it is the Son of God, if it is you, tell me he comes. He steps out of the boat. The other disciples stay in the boat. He gets out. He's walking on water. Did he have faith? Yes, he had faith. My gosh, he walked on water. I've tried that. It's never worked for me yet. I do have a, I do have a really cool picture, though. I've tricked some people. I've, some of you guys may have seen on Facebook where I took this eight-foot extension ladder out into the water at Holly's parents' place. We were there on vacation, and I put it just so it's buried under the water enough, and I stood on it with one foot, and the other foot, I went like that, and you can't tell at all. Like, like how did you do that? I'm like, oh, I, I got faith. I walked on water. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so he's walking on the water, his faith is greater than his doubts at that moment. But then, all of a sudden, he gets hit in the face of the wave. He looks at, notices the wind and the waves. That's what he says. He took his eyes off of Jesus, looked at the storm, the wind and the waves, and he started to sink. So at first, his faith was greater than his doubts. But then all of a sudden, he looked at the wrong thing. His doubts became greater than his faith, and he started to sink. And you know, Jesus contributed his doubt with sinking and his faith with walking on water defying the very uh, forces of nature with his faith, but going into the normal life when he doubted and started to sink. You know, would you be offended if Jesus corrected you? I mean, I hope you wouldn't be, because that's what he did to Peter. He said, oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Why'd you hold on that faith just such, that short a time? We could have walked all the rest of the way, just holding hands, could have walked over here. We could have, you know... He didn't want him to doubt, but it's natural sometimes. You have a natural doubt and unbelief in you that you have to do something about. And if we don't, it's going to stay there. Amen? All right. So um, Peter had both faith and doubt at the same time. And you do too. I do too. Okay? 
I, if it's a news flash for you, then let the lights go on. Ding, 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 because we do, okay? Uh, it's, we have faith and doubt at the same time. Your faith comes by hearing. You've heard and you've heard and heard, and, but there's also some things you've heard that weren't gospel. There's other things you experienced that weren't gospel, and those things cause faith. It's just a perverted faith, and it hinders when we pray sometimes. Imagine, picture it this way. You have a, a horse pull. Maybe some of you guys have ever been to a horse pull. I remember going to a few when I was real little, but some of those horses are just super strong. That's one uh, single draft horse can pull like 8,000 pounds. I mean, those are massive, strong horses, right? And they pull more weight on, they add more weight on, see how much this horse can drag compared to the other one. And if you have another horse with equal strength, and they're hooked to this chain, and they're both pulling, you know, those horses aren't going to go anywhere. They're going to keep treading like they're doing the moonwalk or something, but they're not going to move. They're just going to stand there because they're of equal strength. They, they can't move. And, or if you have a, or once that horse gets to its maximum weight, he's going to pull and pull and strain and strain. It's not going anywhere because the, for, the weight of that is equal, to his, is equal or greater to his strength. It's the same way with faith or doubt and unbelief. If your doubt and unbelief is stronger or even equal to your faith, we're not going to get places that we're, as we like to in prayer and faith. That makes sense? So sometimes, that was a good yawn, yawn yeah. <laughs> I was like, yawn. <laughs> okay. Or picture you have these uh, uh, thermostats, you know, like, a, like or, you know, you're doing fundraising, you have those thermostats, they, the bar goes up for how much money you have and stuff coming in. You have these thermostats on both sides, the thermometers, as I meant to say, thermometers. Thank you, Brain. And um, so... On this side, it has faith, and it's, you know, so far up. And you have doubt and unbelief so far up on the other side. We all have those scales to somehow. But, you know, at times we focus so much on dealing with our, building our faith, but we haven't done as much with taking care of some of our doubt and unbelief. And, you know, if we took the doubt and unbelief out of the way, our faith would naturally work much better, wouldn't it? It would naturally work much better. So I want us to, we're going to focus on that in the, next few weeks about how to help get rid of some of our doubt and unbelief. But for now, I want to share with you, um, it said this, if he, if he was referring to the doubt and unbelief, if he was referring to, he said, this kind of unbelief, this kind. So Andrew Womack says there's four different kinds of unbelief. I want to share those with you today. Uh, the first one is ignorance. And uh, four types of, yeah, there we go. Thank you, man. Uh, first one's ignorance. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Uh, but if no one's ever heard the gospel they ha- and they haven't heard it yet, how can they believe if they haven't heard? That's what Romans 10:14 says. It says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So somebody can't have faith for salvation if they haven't heard their, their, their need of salvation. There is, a God, there is a Savior in their need. So this is a type of unbelief that's caused just by ignorance, somebody not, not hearing. So that's one type. The second type is disbelief. And this is where you have been taught something, but what you were taught was wrong. Okay? You were taught something, but you were, what you were taught was wrong. A good example of this is in the, from the Bible, is the Sadducees came to Jesus one day, and they were trying to ask him this complicated question about the resurrection. Because they didn't believe there was a resurrection. So Jesus said to them in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You know, I've wanted to quote that a few times in the last month or two to some people. 
<laughs> I didn't, but I definitely thought it. But uh, they, they have been taught there is no resurrection. They have been taught. They studied. They had all these people teach them these things. They have been taught that. But Jesus said here they are mistaken because they did not know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. So if we were taught something that is incorrect, it's kind of like you had a chalkboard. This chalkboard's written, and the whole chalkboard's filled with teachings or scriptures or what, what you've learned. But then you go back and someone teaches something else, and it's like writing right over top of that teaching you already had. You actually have to go back and erase some things and put some new stuff in there. And it's actually easier to hear it right the first time than it is to go back and change some things. Now, all of us have had different levels of bad teaching. Some of it was taught to you. Some of you, you taught yourself, and you read the Bible, and you just didn't understand what it was saying, so you assumed it meant this, and you misunderstood. And some things you learned probably from observation. You know, I, I know for me, I don't think in my church growing up they ever told me that it wasn't the will of God to heal anymore. Uh, I don't think I ever heard that, but because I never saw anybody healed, and I never saw, they had definitely way more focus on go to the doctor, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, than it was go to the great physician. I just assumed, like, I guess Jesus doesn't do that anymore. So I don't know if anyone taught me it, but I, I mean, as far as a, from a pulpit message, but from what I observed, I never saw it, never heard a teaching on it, never, all I experienced was a lot of sickness in my family, in my life, and I never heard about it because I didn't hear. There was some, there was definitely that uh, unbelief there and, and not teaching right. Another thing is uh, I was taught some things that were not necessarily true when it comes to um, my salvation, like I could lose my salvation. And, uh, and I need to get resaved. And so I, I, I know I've told you guys many times, I told this Baptist girl that I had been saved like a hundred times. <laughs> and she gave me a really odd look. But, you know, when you're taught something that way, you believe it is true, it brings bondage into your life. And so, because I was taught that by people older than me, from different leaders and stuff, I, I was afraid often I had to get resaved. So they had an altar call, and I was feeling guilty, and my heart was, <laughs> I was going to go up to the altar and make sure I was saved. You know, and the weird part to me is a lot of Baptist churches around here do that too. And what I don't understand, I understand it from my denomination, but if, if you believe once you're saved, you're always saved, I don't understand why they keep doing that. I guess they just believe that nobody's saved. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, but that teaching, like if you don't know whoever's teaching which way, that isn't really my point, but if you don't know if you're saved, if you don't know that God has forgiven you of all your sin, you are going to be in bondage. You're gonna, it doesn't matter what the truth is at that point. If you don't know the truth, if you haven't heard the truth, you're going to be in unbelief. And unbelief brings bondage. The truth sets us free. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But when you don't know it, you're going to be in bondage. And doubt and unbelief or the wrong type and disbelief is going to bring bondage. Jesus came to set you free. You are supposed to know that you are a son and daughter of God. That is kindergarten 101 Christianity. I'm just telling you. If you don't, I don't mean that in a bullying way. I'm saying it in a faith way. It is kindergarten 101 that you know that you are a son and daughter of God. Amen. Amen. You're not illegitimate. You're not any of those adjectives or words for that. You are a son of God. Amen. Amen. I might need to say it a few more times. So we, you are a son of God. Jesus became a son of man so that you can become a son of God. Amen. So we're, I was taught a lot of different things that were not true. And uh, another one is about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was taught that. I don't, know what I, was, I don't really know what I was taught there. I just know that we were told as future pastors and leaders that if we promoted the baptism of the Holy Spirit or 
speaking in tongues that, we're, that um, we were not allowed to do that. And I had seen other, from my dad, telling me stories of other pastors and leaders in that denomination that did do that, and they got kicked out. So if that was how you were taught, you'd have to naturally come to the conclusion then, well, it must be bad. Or why can't I promote it? Or why can't I talk about it? Or why do we have to whisper? Why are we whispering right now? Like, is something bad? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. And I remember my last, before I graduated, my last meeting with the district board of ministers, it was supposed to be a 15-minute meeting, and my meeting went for an hour and a half. And uh, I had my nice little suit and tie on. You should have seen me. I was all shiny shoes and everything looking all spiritual, all religious, all religious, really. But I, because I had to please my, my crew, you know. And uh, anyway, God help me. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm there, and I'm waiting for my turn to go in. And in the, in the meantime, between one meeting to the next meeting, I had had an encounter with God. All the teaching I had before that was, was moved to nothing because I had an encounter with God. Do you know that's what happened with Saul, too? He was Paul. He had an encounter with God. His theology quickly changed. And I had an encounter with God. And I, I remember I was praying and I started, I, first I got a revelation on healing, or a small revelation of healing, and I started seeing people getting healed. And uh, I was like, what is this? What is this? Like, why was I taught this? But then after, I'm like, well, what else is in the Bible that I've been taught that isn't true? And so the Baptist Holy Spirit came up, and I was, I was still kind of like this with it, like, like eh, I don't know, like, those people are, the only ones I knew were weirdos. At least that was my perception, and didn't know how weird I was, but <laughs> well, now I know a little more. But anyway, um, but... Anyway, I'm just going to have some fun with you. We went to this church, so we heard it already. My brother honestly went because he liked this girl there. And her name was Heather. She was about 16, and we all called her Heather Hairy Legs because she was 16 still didn't shave her legs. Now, uh, <laughs> we didn't say it to her face, but we said it behind her back. But my brother still thought he, she was cute. I don't know if he was into that or what. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway it wasn't for me. I was like, eh, I don't know. So... Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we're at this church. I didn't go to that church. My brother went to that church. We went to my normal church down the road. And our church got over right at 12 on the dot. You know, we're doing the final prayer and, the, and everything. We're, we're out the door for dinner. And my brother, we go down to his church that he's visiting. And it's 12. They're still in there. So we're in the parking lot. It's 1230. They're still in there. It's 1 o'clock. like, dang, I'm getting hungry. What are they doing in there? What, what could they possibly be doing? So I went in there to check on him to say, come on, we've got to go eat. And uh, they hadn't even preached yet. <laughs> I was like, what? Because what my grid was, it's an hour. I mean, it's all, it's, it must be a rule in the Bible somewhere. It's an hour of prayer, the whatever. It has to be an hour because you've got to get out for football and food. And uh, so anyway, uh, they hadn't even prayed. They hadn't even preached yet, and I didn't know what was going on. And Robin's like, whispered to you, you should have been here a minute ago. They're prophesying over this lady that's pregnant over there. And they told her she was going to have a boy. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how could they do that? They don't know it's a boy. They don't know it's a girl. I was so filled with doubt, unbelief, skepticism, because my grid, my experience, that was not even on the radar. I just, that was just out there in weird land. You know, that was just whatever. So finally, I'm like, Robin, you coming now, or we're leaving you here. You can walk home. It's about 45 minutes away. We're leaving. And I walked out, and I tripped over one of the chairs, made a big, didn't mean to make a scene, made a big scene over the, we were meeting in the basement of an elementary school. And anyway, that was my first experience. And I, I felt, even though I'm sure now, looking back, God's spirit, God's spirit was in that place. It felt so different than my experience. I attributed that to something of the devil. This can't be God because I'm a Christian and I go to church and my dad's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor and all these things. That can't be God because I know God. I know God. I'm in Bible college. I'm getting taught the word of God. You know, I'm saying that half mockingly, but that was where, that's where I was. 
And I, I contributed the Spirit of God to the Spirit of the enemy because of religion. So I started praying uh, and reading these verses. I said, well, somebody give me some verses on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was kind of like, there can't be very many on there. And I started studying it, and there was actually a lot more than I thought there would be. A lot more. I have a list in front of my Bible. I wrote them out one after another after another. And I started praying about this. And then one day, I, I was, we, we got really hungry after God. Uh, myself and some of my uh, seniors and other guys, we started having prayer meetings every night. It wasn't organized by teachers. It was just a fire and passion started burning in our hearts to pray and, and get more of God, be closer to God. Every night, we'd have classes all day. We'd have chapel meetings and, and Bible studies and stuff. But then when that was over, we go back to our rooms and pray. We pray for each other. And people sometimes started falling down when we prayed. And I was like, what is going on? This is weird. Like, why did that happen? I was so confused. Didn't know, but I, but I knew I felt God. And so I started praying and asking God questions about why this and why that. You know, that's a form of hunger. God doesn't mind your questions, it's, but he doesn't like your, uh, when you're critical or skeptical with it. Why this or but that? But it's, why, God? Teach me. Teach me. So we were asking these questions. I remember I finally came to the conclusion, like, okay, God, clearly this is in your will. It is in your word. It's your will. You want us to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I just started, I, uh, I said, okay, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why you'd want me to do it. I don't know why you'd want me to pray something. It doesn't even make sense. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I don't understand why. But your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So you want this for me. I want it. So I, I remember praying that. I was like, God, if it doesn't make sense, but I guess I'll do it. I guess. I, you know, I was kind of like that. And uh, a couple weeks later, we were praying. We were having prayer meetings every night. And sometimes till like 11 o'clock till curfew where they had, the guys had to leave to go home. I was living with my parents in the same town. And uh, I remember one night we had to carry a guy home. Well, yeah, literally, I had to carry him home because he got delivered from demons in my basement. And we had no teachers, no experience in it. We had just the presence of God. And uh, I mean, anyway, we literally, they carried him like this down the hall. <laughs> so he's like 6'3". He's a big dude. He was on our basketball team. And, uh, they, and the, the, the beds in the rooms were like bunk beds. And under the beds were not another bed, but it was like cupboards and drawers and these small dorm rooms. And they literally had to roll him up under <laughs> the bed like that. And uh, people were coming in from all down the hall, like, what happened to Dave? They're looking at him, because he's still, like, having, like, he's, like, he's playing a guitar. And he's saying, holy, 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 holy. And he was doing that for hours. He had seen God. He had this encounter with God that absolutely wrecked and changed his life. What was important before wasn't important after that moment. He read the whole New Testament in like seven days, and every teacher in the school was like, what happened to Dave? They could see a difference in this guy's countenance because he used to walk around like this and never look in the eye. Even though he was super talented, all great grades, he had a deep down wound in his heart because he didn't feel like his dad loved him enough. He didn't feel like no matter what I do, nothing is ever good enough for my father. And he had that wound, and that wound opened a door for a spirit of rejection and other things too. And he got delivered that night, that guy's life was absolutely changed. He's still in ministry today. And uh, I'm telling you. So we were having all these kinds of things happening. People were getting healed. We're praying every night. There was just a hunger to, to, to pray and get with God. And so then uh, I remember I was laying on the floor. I didn't follow. I just laid there. I was just asking God for more. And my friend from uh, Kenya actually came over and he laid his hand on my stomach. And he started praying in the Spirit. I believe it was the Spirit. He knew seven languages, but he, I think he was praying in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, 
out of me came this heavenly language that, you know, Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And, you know, I've been taught all along that was wrong. I, I was taught, like, how do you know you're not praying to the devil? How do you know you're not saying this? How do you know you're saying that? Faith. Faith in what the Word says. Faith in what God said. Faith in what Jesus said. And so, man, it just it came out of me forcefully. Now, your experience might be a little different than that, but I'm telling you, that encounter changed everything about my life. It really did, like everything. Have I grown since that? Yeah, leaps and bounds since then. I was very immature in that uh, hour and a half meeting that was supposed to be 15 minutes long because uh, I didn't know many of my verses and stuff or why, but I told them that you are fine with thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill, thou shall not commit adultery and all stuff. But the Bible also says, thou shalt not forbid speaking in tongues. And man, you would have thought I jumped on a hornet's nest because they didn't like that. And you know what? Um, I'm not saying praying in tongues is the be-all, end-all of everything. Jesus is the be-all, end-all of everything, okay? What I'm trying to say is there are encounters you can have with God. And if you're taught this other way, it's a kind of unbelief that can hinder you from receiving things that God has for you when it can take you to another whole level of faith, another whole level of freedom, another whole level of doing things that you can't even imagine you can do. But your life just shifted and changed because you submit to what God said, not what you've been necessarily taught. Your life can change. Now I'm, I'm practicing praying in tongues, you know, an hour a day or so, sometimes more, sometimes less, but about an hour a day or so, and sometimes, and, and sometimes it, go, it goes by like that. But I'm telling you guys, it's, God wants you to have an encounter with him, amen? amen? So that's another kind of unbelief, it's through teaching, bad teaching. Third one, and don't worry, three, three and four aren't as long as the second one, but maybe they are, I don't know yet, we'll see. But um, the third one is natural unbelief or skepticism. Natural unbelief or skepticism, this comes from life experiences, uh, that we come to believe is normal. And that's what I think happened here with the disciples. The disciples, they prayed for this boy. He fell down like he was dead. He started shaking, trembling. He's foaming at the mouth, and they're like, oh my gosh, I hadn't seen that before. Whoa, that is, I don't know. And I think they got scared, and they just backed away. Like, okay, who's going next? All right, John, uh, Philip, it's your turn. Or, you know, uh, Mark, it's your turn. Uh, I'm done. I mean, you know, I've seen that before in Uganda. And it is, it is difficult to see with your eyes a young lady or a young boy or somebody shaking, trembling, foaming at the mouth and stuff like that uh, because of a demon spirit's coming out of them. Andrew actually says he likes it when they start getting worse because, you know, once they start getting worse, you know that things on its way out. But your senses aren't going to necessarily like it when something starts getting worse. You probably even noticed in your own life when you're praying for something, whether it's family or whatever, you're like, Gosh, it's getting worse, not better. And guess what we think? Well, I guess it's not working. It's getting worse. No, you take it this way. It's getting better. It looks worse, but it's getting better because that spirit's on its way out. Okay? So don't give up when you see your family starting to do worse or whatever. That means nothing. It's subject to change. It's all subject to change through the Word of God, through prayer. Amen? So this boy's, uh, I mean, you're, you're praying for someone that's sick. You know, you're praying for them, and they fall over dead right where you're praying for them. Well, your natural tendency to think is, I guess that didn't work, right? You're like, you're praying to be healed, and boom, they're dead, right? Uh, that's, that's a natural type of unbelief that we can have through life's experiences. And uh, we've, you, or you pray for someone, and things get worse and not better, just like I was mentioning. So it wasn't that disciples didn't have faith. They did have faith, because if they didn't have faith, they wouldn't even pray, pray for that boy to be delivered, right? People that don't believe in casting out demons don't pray for people to deliver from demons, right? I never did that once. 
before, right? And now I do it when I, even when I don't want to. <laughs> but it's like God leads. But people, uh, the very fact that they tried showed they had faith, right? So Jesus said their faith wasn't the problem, their unbelief was. They had faith, okay? But sometimes you have faith, but your unbelief can be screaming louder. And we have to deal with that unbelief. Let me show you a couple of examples here. Well, first I'll say this. Um, yeah, well, look at this first. Matthew, Luke 10, 17. It says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So it wasn't just the twelve experienced the ability to have deliverance. It was the seventy also. So they had seen demons come out of people. They had seen, in Jesus' name, people getting set free. But in this case, when this boy started manifesting a certain way, and they thought well, he was dead, foaming, or whatever, they gave up too quick. So the last one is choosing not to believe. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the truth. They've known it, whatever. But they just get stubborn. And they're like, I just don't believe it. I'm not going to believe that. Whether they're saved or even someone who is saved, can, uh, can have that stubbornness of heart or hardness of heart where they hear the truth, the truth is proven to them through Scripture or by a revelation from the Holy Spirit or something. It's like, you know what, I'm just not going to do that. And you can put that over on any topic or area. Uh, I can name a few just to get a reaction. Uh, how about tithing? Well, I can see that in the Bible, but I'm just not going to do it. And uh, like, It's funny how people believe in the sovereignty of God in some ways, but then when it comes to tithing, like, well, how come he doesn't make you tithe, right? It isn't going to make you do it. It's something you have to do. Or uh, spiritual gifts or whatever the topic is, you could hear the truth of it, but until you humble yourself to agree with it and then start practicing what he's teaching you, it isn't going to benefit you much. And it's, that's just choosing not to believe. Well, I'm just okay where I'm at. I'm comfortable right here. I don't need to grow. I don't need to go any further. So in weeks to come, we're going to look at these four types of unbelief, and we're going to uh, look at ways... To get rid of them. Because I think in the past, people have spent a lot of time building up their faith, and they've spent very little time trying to get rid of their doubt and unbelief. They probably didn't know that they needed to. They probably didn't know how it comes. From your own trauma, you can have wounds that need to be healed, and it's hindering your faith. I'll give you one example real quickly. I mean, just, it's, it's, a, it's a different one, but I remember just a few years ago when I had that four-wheeler accident, and I was going, just backing up really slow. Jordan was on the back with me. He's holding the gun. And I mean, I was going super slow. But it, the one tire went into a pothole. It was filled with leaves. Didn't know it was there. And next thing you know, that thing threw me off and him off. And somehow it threw me down the side of the mountain. Then the bike like spun this way and fell like right. And he was going to land perfectly directly right on me. And somehow by the grace of God, when I, when I got thrown off, I slid right under this tree branch and that bike landed right in the right spot so that the crossbar hit that branch and then flipped end over end over top of me without touching me other than just scraping my shin just a little bit when I was thrown off. That was very scary. I w and partly because I went backwards, I couldn't even see where I was going. I had a part, you know, for a while, I couldn't even ride that thing. I couldn't go, if I started to feel that, that lift feeling, like, I'd get so scared. I remember even when we were, in, I didn't tell anyone this, but we were in San Francisco. And we're driving on those hills sometimes, that really steep one. I had that same feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel like the van. I know it's illogical, but you see, once that fear gets in there, whether it's natural or whatever way it comes, I mean, potentially a spirit could come in there and make it even worse. And for me, I had to keep praying and praying and dealing with that trauma of that experience because I closed my eyes trying to go to sleep and all I could see was that four-wheeler coming right at me. 
I mean, the thing was big and heavy. He's a grizzly. And so, uh, like, literally, it's the name of his grizzly. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so in your life, whether you were in a car accident, if uh, you were in an abusive relationship, if you are in some kind of thing, there's a way for natural doubt and unbelief to get in your heart, and that needs to be healed in order for your faith to become more effective. Okay? And we'll look at that more in weeks to come.